Happy Sabbath and good morning. We are so glad that you have decided to join us from wherever you are in the world, whether it's local, in this country, or somewhere else. We are just blessed that we get to study with you. In today's topic, we're going to talk about hope. But before that, I need to remind you, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, hint, hint. And so we have so many of you who are just so kind and thoughtful. And Debbie from the Pacific Northwest sent uh, both a beautiful card and this lovely box of chocolates uh, that we have already eaten. So Debbie, I am going to share with Joey and I'm going to grab one myself. And we are just so thankful that you have decided to share with us um, and make our Pastor Appreciation October a bit, a bit sweeter. So, Debbie, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Mmm, that hits the spot on a Sabbath morning. Now we're going to have chocolate all, all over our teeth. We are. And we're <laughs> going to talk today about the health message. No, we're not. We're talking about hope. And before we jump in, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you so much for Jesus who gives and sustains hope. And we ask that as we think about him, as we think about who we are made to be, how we are created in your image, as we think about the future, may Christ continue to be the calming presence that we so deeply need. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So, Joey, uh, Napoleon once said that leaders are dealers in hope. And I think that, I mean, although we don't really agree with a lot of what Napoleon did, that particular point really struck me. The fact that True leaders have the capacity to instill hope in those whom they lead. Um, and I, I love the fact that this lesson turns uh, the attention through the pages of the Old Testament to this idea of hope. And one often asks, what has kept the Jewish people connected throughout you know, their 5,000-year history? most of which has been without a land and persecuted. And I think if we had to summarize it, uh, the Jewish thought process can be cut down to two particular phrases. The first one I attribute to our good friend Ezer, you know Ezer from the Holy Land trips. Um, this wonderful giant of a man says that every Jewish holiday can be summarized in one sentence. Mm -hmm. They tried to kill us, 
we won. Now let's eat. <laughs> so I think that's that's one of the things that can summarize the the thought that uh, precludes the pages of the Old Testament. The other one is this idea of Yahweh might uh, promise land, but that's not why we follow Yahweh. Mm. Yahweh is worthy to be followed because Yahweh is the ultimate purveyor of hope. And so mm. that idea of hope just emanates through the pages of the Old Testament, and that's kind of the crux of our study for this week. Yeah. I mean, the Old Testament sometimes gets a bad rap because of there's a realism to the Old Testament, mm -hmm. right? There's It does not try to hide the the evils, the destructiveness, the, the sin of humanity. It's just right there for all to, to see, to the point where sometimes um, when my kids were younger, I... There were some stories that I was uncomfortable reading mm. with them in the Old Testament just because some of the questions that would arise, they were difficult to answer, right? Especially at that young age. Um, but there is that realism. But intermixed with the realism is hope. Hope for something better because they follow a God who is, like you said, mm -hmm. the ultimate purveyor of mm -hmm. hope. And I think even those stories that are really difficult to hear, and as you were talking, two, two ideas came to mind. The first one is a personal one. The second one is a story that I know our senior pastor has told us a lot of times. Uh, the first one is, here I am doing a series on Genesis uh, at my previous post, and we get to the, the story of Judah and Tamar, <laughs> and I am struggling with how, because it's a it's a story about about hope. Ultimately, the story of Judah and Tamar is about the hope that this woman has and the fidelity that she has. That her husband's name will be remembered, mm -hmm. and that she will be protected and cared for in the lengths that you will go to pursue hope. Yeah. The process, though, is messy, and so I. I had some some sleepless nights with that, and I still remember just trying to fit that message into this broader picture of realism. The second story is um, to one that our that our past senior pastor has told many times, and perhaps if you if you tune in regularly, you've heard him say. So Randy says that one of his first messages here at Loma Linda, uh, he realized really the immense, immense responsibility that we carry because we have a platform here. And so he's preaching this message, and it's, as always, a powerful, poignant, gospel-filled message. And he's, like we do every Sabbath, we stand up front, we greet, we talk, we, we mingle with people, and so Randy's doing what he does. And uh, uh, one of our church members steps up to him and says, Hey, my, my daughter has a question to ask. So the little girl peeks behind mom's uh, skirt and she says, Pastor, what's a temple prostitute? And so the, the point is, I think, that we have, right, this juxtaposition of the realism and the pain and the suffering and the mistakes that human beings make and how broken the systems and the structures that we create are, as in the, as in the case of idol worship. But interspruced with that and intermixed with that, you have this idea of deep, deep abiding hope that springs forth out of the pages. And I think then the choice, whether it's the story of Judah and Tamar or whether it's the story of idolatry, 
The choice then is up to the reader and up to those of us who wrestle with scripture to say, okay, do we choose to focus on the hope? And we, we know what that does. That sustained a people without land, without power, been persecuted for 5,000 years. We can do that. Or we can focus on the, as you said, the reality of life. And I, I don't know what end result that has. Yeah. You know, I've heard Randy share that story before too, and but I don't think I've ever heard what answer he gave to the little girl. No. No. <laughs> so I am curious. I'm curious what he said to that little girl. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Um, we can focus on the realism, and and to a certain extent, we have to, right? Because we have to be aware of where mm-hmm. sin has led mm-hmm. us, but also to not get so lost in that realism that we lose sight mm. of hope, right? And Oh, man, it's incredible, like you've talked about, in the history of Israel, um, what hope has done for them. Because if you read the story, I mean, chapter after chapter mm-hmm. of, of the Old Testament, even even the stories of Abraham, Abraham left all of his family behind to pursue hope. And we've talked about this mm-hmm. in our in our studies on, on the life of Abraham. But the fact that he made that journey and what it meant for him to disconnect from his family group because your family was your insurance mm-hmm. back then. They didn't have car insurance and house insurance. They didn't have retirement, right? Your family was who took care of you when tragedy struck. And for him to be willing to leave his family behind and live as a foreigner, which was really the lowest caste mm-hmm. of any society, was the foreigners. They were the outsiders. Nobody liked them. Everybody wanted them to leave. To live like that for for his, his the rest of his life, that was that was all based on hope, mm-hmm. a hope that was just a little bit realized at the end of his life. But for the majority of his life, he lived as a sojourner, as a wanderer, yeah. right? Which you know we we take that term sojourner as something that is complementary to Christians, like we're only sojourning on this earth. But for him, the reality of being a foreigner, being a sojourner, was hard. It was very hard, and yet hope sustained him. Wow. And you know what I find so appealing about that particular story that you're mentioning is that there is a te- an inherent tension um, because hope is birthed by expectation. Mm-hmm. In other words, you hope because you want, you desire something to happen, whether it's I'm hoping for a new job or I'm, fo- I'm hoping uh, for a better future Maybe as newlyweds, you're, folking, you're hoping for life together, or as uh, prospective parents, you're hoping to, uh, to have children that will realize all your dreams. And so there is this, this hope that is birthed out of expectation. Mm. The problem is in life, as you're astutely mentioning, expectations almost always mm. remain unfulfilled. Mm. That's why we continue to hope. Yeah. Uh, so the question just starts bubbling. How do you feed this thing that I think we all need? And you've mentioned in Abraham's particular case, it is what sustained him. And I would say it's what sustained not only Abraham, but the whole history of the Old Testament. Mm. How do you feed that in terms of uh, in, in the light of unrealized expectation? Wow. Yeah, that's that's the hard question, right? And one that I think Abraham struggled mm-hmm. with in his life, and the, 
I mean, it's very clear that Abraham had himself had doubts throughout mm-hmm. his life about this, um, about whether God would continue to protect him and sustain him, which is why when he went down to Egypt, he lied about his wife, you know. When, so the, the whole circumstance behind that is that he faces adversity in the land that God had called him to. And so he goes to Egypt to escape that. And so I can imagine that Abraham at that moment is also having somewhat of a crisis of Mm -hmm. faith, right? Because here God has called him to this land that he has called good. And yet the land is not providing for him. So now he's, and he doesn't even own the land. So now he's leaving that land, going to another land. And I'm sure he was wondering, is God still with me? Mm. Did I misunderstand? And so in that moment of crisis, he lies about his his wife. He wonders if God is still with him. And even in the, his failure, though, God steps in. Mm. And I think those are the moments that sustain us, right? Are those, whether it's moments where, where Abraham is continuing his connection with God and God comes in and does that covenant with him, or it's it's moments where we fail and God still steps in and catches us. Those are the moments that sustain us and remind us that, yes, it's not fully realized, but God is with us. Powerfully said. So you have these, these experiential nuggets, these little capsules in time that are that serves that serve not only to feed your hope but to affirm your belief in a God that is ultimately good. Because you need to believe that God is good to continue hoping. I think that the challenge when it comes to moments, and you mentioned this idea of crisis of faith, I think that the challenge is that we don't slow enough to do two things, to recognize A, when one of those moments is happening, and or B, to be rational enough to realize that there's a history so there is some evidence. There are these little capsules of, mo- of hope throughout our life that have sustained us. There's a wonderful uh, book written by an economist, Daniel Kahneman, and uh, he's a Nobel Prize winning economist. And the title of the book is Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Mm. And Kahneman, who uh, looks at it from the perspective of economy, says, look, uh, capitalism used to work based on the idea that Consumers were rational, that consumers had the capacity to analyze a product and say, do I need it? What benefit is it going to produce? Um, How is this going to continue contributing to this hope picture that I'm I'm trying to portray in the world? Mm -hmm. But that's not how we operate. So Kahneman says, there's two systems of thinking that we use. There's system one, and system one is um, is really useful because it helps us keep uh, safe and it helps us stay alive. So for example, if we saw smoke coming into our studio today, you and I would get up and leave mm-hmm. and we wouldn't ask questions, where is the smoke coming from? Uh, what is going on? Let's analyze, let's think about previous experiences with smoke. <laughs> Uh, let's think about how smoke impacts or impacts us at a biochemistry level. We would not do any. We would just get up and leave. So that's system one. System two, he says, though, is the one that forces us to just slow down and say, well, let's analyze this situation. Let's take some time and analyze this situation. And what he says is problematic 
is that too often when we're, fa when we're facing a crisis in his uh, realm of, of expertise, it's a crisis in either our personal finances or uh, the economy of a country or a market, but in our, in our area, it's a crisis of faith. Mm. We need to slow down and let system two do the thinking rather than default to system one. And I think if you analyze Abraham's story, Abraham's doing a lot of system one thinking. Mm. How do I stay alive? Well, I need to lie. How do I have a child at 90? Well, I need to get another wife, right? Uh, instead of slowing down and saying, wait, 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 what, are these what is this experience that I've had with God to this point? Mm. And how do I allow that experience to speak rationally into my current state, th this current situation that I'm trying to navigate? Wow, that's so good. So by being able to slow down instead of just reacting um, instinctively, we are able to understand the situation better and navigate that situation better. It's true. It's hard though, because we're kind of conditioned to do that, right? Absolutely. To, to operate by instinct. Like, it, like you talked about, it works really well when it's a physical danger, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> if there's a wolf running at me or if there's a fire or something like that where I'm physically in danger, having the instincts kick in and for us to just move is so important. And yet, whenever we experience any kind of danger or any kind of crisis, whether it's physical or emotional, or we still default to that method, and it's not as helpful in those kind right. of contexts. And it's not helpful, Joey, because it, it clouds our thinking. And again, it's really useful to have um, these, these systems that allow, that allow you to stay safe. But the problem is, Sometimes it's not just about safety. Human beings are by de facto, we're lazy. Yeah. We don't, we like the easy way. We like the easy solutions. We like um, the experiences that, that just affirm whatever stereotype we already have. And mm. to prove that, I want to do a little exercise with you. Um, and Joy, you don't have to answer. You can if you want. Um, but we're going to have all of you try to answer this question, okay? Okay, so you go to a store and you, you want to play tennis. I know you're a big tennis player, Joey, so you want to play tennis, and this is before inflation. Uh, so you see, a, you see a ball and a racket. And the ball and the racket cost $1.10. Wow. Yeah, it's before inflation. <laughs> and before amazing. this century. <laughs> So the ball in the racket cost a, a, a dollar and ten cents. Now, the ball, like we said, and the racket are a dollar ten cents. All right. Now, the ball is a dollar less. It costs a dollar less than the racket. The ball and the racket are a dollar ten cents. The ball costs a dollar less than the racket. How much does the racket cost? Well, I have to do that math. It's like algebra problem, right? <laughs> so you're you're at a better place than I was, because I did this and I, we were doing this uh, because it's part of uh, Kahneman's book. I remember doing this a long time ago, mm -hmm. and the teacher actually they call it priming. 
they primed, she primed us and said, whoever answers first oh, yeah. gets then a you're, prize. Then you're rushing to do it. So I'm like, <laughs> and she's like, yes. And I said, a dollar. <laughs> and I was pretty convinced that my answer was right. I was yeah. like, Psh, people don't know. And if you thought a dollar at home, that yeah. the racket's worth a dollar, you, sir, are wrong. <laughs> Um, because again, you prime, by the way, it's a dollar five. Yeah. Um, because you prime your brain to think fast mm -hmm. and you, you, life is great. God created us in this wonderful way because we are, we're really good at seeing patterns and using those patterns to create shortcuts. Mm. But the problem is sometimes those shortcuts that we use, whether physical, emotional, spiritual or mental mm. cloud our view of what God is trying to do in our life. Wow, wow, yeah, it's true, especially, and, and that's even more so, I mean, when we are feeling comfortable and we're feeling in the zone and we are not feeling rushed mm -hmm. and we're, when we are our best selves, mm -hmm. we are most, we're, we're less likely to, de to default to those mm -hmm. methods, but whenever we're in stress, when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're feeling rushed, like you were talking about, she created this artificial environment of feeling rushed. Um, then, then that, then those instincts just mm -hmm. those pathways just come right out. Right? And crises of faith create tension. Yeah. And then tension creates this capacity to default to these shortcuts. So. I think the first thing that we need to do as it, when it comes to looking at this idea of hope in the Old Testament is to realize that the Old Testament, because it is an Eastern culture, because it's birthed out of this oral tradition and this deeply, deeply communal tradition, thinking slow mm. was already built into the system, if you will. And so I think I, what I found fascinating just looking at this concept of hope yeah. is how often God calls people to an encounter where, where there's no distraction, whether it's uh, talking to Abraham, mm -hmm. whether it's wrestling uh, with Jacob, whether it's in inspiring David as he is running away in the mountains and in the desert from Saul, whether it's speaking a word onto the lives of the prophets when they're suffering and they feel like there's nothing else, there's no one else. And God chooses these moments of solitude um, in order to speak hope into their lives because there's nothing that's going to create that uh, that environmental tension that you're talking about. Wow, so God creates context for us to be able to lower the tension so that we can we can not divert to those, mm. those pathways. It kind of reminds me of, um, I was reading a book called Just Listen and the author was talking about how to go, and he's not a Christian author, so he said how to go from O blank to okay, mm -hmm. right? Like when, when some crisis hits, immediately our mind goes to O blank, right? Mm -hmm. um, you may not say the word, but you're just like, I don't know what to do, mm -hmm. right? And he says, how do you lead yourself to a process, through a mental process from that to okay? Mm -hmm. And he, he outlines several steps. Like you, you first say, 
you first say, oh blank. You know, you say, oh my goodness, this is a terrible situation. I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. This is horrible. And you just, you, you first just recognize how you're feeling. And then you move to, okay, so why am I feeling this? Why am I feeling so tense about this? Start to examine the feelings that you're feeling. And then, and then you move to, well, actually, even though it's this bad, this can also be okay. Like this, this can like these are um, these are possible avenues. And you start doing some problem solving, and then you eventually get to okay, I have a plan. Now I'm okay. But he says that unless we practice that practice, then that can take a really long time. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes that takes days, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it takes years where we feel like we're stuck in the um, in the mess of things. But as we rehearse and practice that. We, we, we are able to lower our tension faster and realize that there's a way mm. out. And that's how we focus on that hope, right? That there is always this path out. Um, and for us as Christians, that's even more true because we know that we're not in it alone, that we have a God who's in it with us, mm. right? Yes. And when I read like the Psalms of Lament, that's what I read is that process of going from you know, the songs of lament always start with, God, how could you do mm -hmm. this? Why would you let my enemies do this to me? It's like all this anger. And you see this process and then eventually by the end, but I know you are with me. I know that you will save me. I know that you were. So you, it's almost like that you see this process they're doing with God through prayer in recognizing that, yes, life is terrible at times, but we have a God who is with us. Amen. Julian, that's, I think, why... Um, I resist sometimes the, the temptation to create systematic theology mm. based on wisdom literature. Mm. Because I think you're absolutely right. What you're seeing is a process. And it's somebody asking real questions and it's God working within the context of stress or tension or suffering in order to maintain hope. See, God knows how we're wired. Okay. And we are wired primarily as loss averse, mm. right? So there was a study that uh, Stanford ran a couple years ago, just looking at how we calculate risk. So they said, all right, imagine we're, we're all on a vacation. It's a seven day vacation. Everything is going great. And then the last day is a mess. Mm. Most people will remember that vacation negatively because of that lingering experience. Uh, most people, for example, will also prefer a really painful experience uh, that will, that will um, a really painful experience that will last uh, a long period of time. Most people will prefer that than a experience that is even more painful, but will last a short amount of time. So most people will prefer something chronic and prolonged uh, if, it's, if the intensity and pain is less mm. than something that is a bit more intense that is shorter. And yeah. that, if you're thinking about that rationally, it doesn't make sense. sense. <laughs> Neither of those two things, right? Yeah. Um, as you're saying, hey, wait a second, let's go through this process from going to, oh, I can't believe this is happening, to, oh, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you go through that process? Well, you analyze, you're like, yeah, maybe the vacation didn't end as I hoped, 
but it's okay, we had all these great things, or maybe I'm going through a situation that is really, really painful, but I'd rather it be short than something chronic that's gonna last days or months or years or whatever mm. the case may be. So I think what you're, what you're hinting at is that tension mm. impacts the way that we think mm -hmm. and God created us to be hope-filled creatures. And so what you see in a lot of the Psalms of Lament is the process by which we are co coming to the place where we can say, you know what, it's okay. Yeah. And the amazing thing about God is that he doesn't get us through that process by forcing us to ignore the mm -hmm. tension, right? He actually invites us to be very honest about that tension and to even at times complain to him, to yell at him, to be angry with him about that reality, right? Um, he, he invites us into that because he knows that that's part of the process. And I think sometimes we're so uncomfortable with that that we try to short circuit that within ourselves and we also try to short circuit that within others. Like we tell them, no, no, just we want to rush to the okay without giving people time to process mm -hmm. all of the other that they have to go to, to go through to get to okay. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and so it's, it's this idea of be patient with people that are not in the same space. And in the same part, in the, by the same token, try to find ways in which you can, you can experience that process in your life because ultimately the healthiest place you can be, the most resilient place you can be, is a place of hope. Why do we spend why did we spend about 30 minutes talking about this because I think it's really important that you realize and when and the lesson quotes a myriad of texts that are that are helpful but I don't think they're helpful in the sense that we're trying to create a systematic theology of hope in the Old Testament. I think they're helpful in trying to see that everyone's hope generating process looks a little bit different mm -hmm. and God allows for that because as you said ultimately what God wants you to do is to get from this place of despair or disorientation to use uh, the language of Brugman in the Psalms mm -hmm. to a process of reorientation. Mm -hmm. So let's just look at one of these examples shall we? Um, Psalm 49 mm -hmm. right it's a great uh, example of kind of how you're getting through that process. So I wanna focus, and I wanna do two things if that's okay, Joey. I wanna focus on the danger of trying to do systematic, authoritative, uh, sometimes even arbitrary theology based on wisdom literature. Mm. So let's, let's, let's go to verse, um, verse seven. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God, to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die and that the foolish and senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. If that's all we have, mm. right? If that's all we have in wisdom literature, uh, then really our, our capacity to generate hope, if, this is, if, if the Bible were four verses, is pretty limited, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. I mean, because it feels like from that, it's pretty hopeless, right? Because honestly, who hasn't been foolish and senseless? And who, um, who, <laughs> who doesn't? I mean, all of us have the tomb and the grave at the, ahead of mm -hmm. us. Yeah. 
So the good thing is this psalm doesn't end there, right? Again, you have this process, you have, you have uh, the psalmist going through this process. Um, and it's, it, I think the first, this, this little piece that we, that we read is actually talking less about death and more about life, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, what is your trust? What gives you hope? Yeah. And if your hope is in material things, which is how he starts the psalm, right? Yeah. Uh, if, if your hope is on wealth or power or position, we've got a problem because you're going to die and everything you've worked for and put your hope in and your, uh, your sweat and blood and tears into is going to be enjoyed by someone else. <laughs> and yeah. if, you, if, you think, if you just slow down and think about that, like we've been saying, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Why am I going to work so that somebody else enjoys the fruits of my labor, which is a theme that appears time and time again in wisdom literature. Mm. Yeah, it's true. And um, so if we stop midway through this psalm, we could have a completely different view of where the psalmist is trying mm -hmm. to go than if we follow his argument towards the end, because like you said, it's a process that he's going through. So that was step one, right? Let's look at step two. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like beasts that perish. Mm -hmm. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep that are destined to die. Death will be the shepherd. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. Mm. So what is he saying? Again, it's this idea of, wait a second, that's, if you're focusing on security and uh, wealth and power in order to generate hope, that's a pretty hopeless existence. Yeah. So he's realized that. And then, the, and then you have the switch. Mm. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not, do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing when them, with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Let's stay there, okay? Let's stay there for a moment and see the danger, because this is, this is hopeful, right? But there's a danger also in just building systematic theology based on this piece. As we said last week, the Old Testament, for the most part, is really mum on this idea of life after death. It wasn't part and parcel of their cultural experience. Uh, that is, I think, one, one unique thing that the Christian experience, in the light of the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus, contributes. What I think the psalmist is trying to get at isn't, hey, if you put your hope in God, you will live and other people will die, right? Uh, I want to read this again, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when their splendors of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them. So what, is he, what he's saying is, you've got two options here. You have to follow the path of God or to, or to follow the, the path of, of wealth and riches if you're trying to generate hope in your life. Mm. And both paths end in the same, in the, at the same place as you were mentioning, mm. the grave. So, mm. how do you live life in light of that? Wow. People who have wealth but lack understanding, verse 20, are like beasts that perish. 
So the whole argument is wealth, power, privilege, position. A lot of people base their hope on that. Other people based their hope on this idea of the redemptive power of God. Mm. But in order to continue believing that God loves me, that God redeems me, that God is pulling for me and fighting for me, you need to slow down. And that's, I think, where what we're talking about really links well with the lesson. Mm. See, the lesson doesn't ask you to sacrifice reason at the altar of faith. Mm. The, less, the, the scripture is telling you that faith without reason is fanaticism. In order to be positive and powerful hope generators then, we need to slow down and rely not on wealth, mm. but, on, but on our understanding. And it's not our understanding that we have gotten from books. It's our understanding as God has created us to live in close connection with Him. Wow. Wow. Um, you've really, that was a powerful way to lead us through um, Psalm 49 and the process, the thought process of the psalmist. Um, you've given me a lot to think about, and I know our readers as well. Um, yeah, but what you said, this idea that, that, um, our dependence does not come from riches, but also, but on, um, on the hope that comes from our understanding of who God is and how He is always with us, and being able to slow down our thoughts so that we can really comprehend um, what God is doing in the moment and not miss those nuggets um, as they pass by is just so powerful because um, a lot of times we miss miss that as we travel through. Um, and, and we give up hope and, um, there's been so many times, um, in our community, we have the privilege of experiencing some tremendous moments of hope shining through. Mm -hmm. And we've shared those stories in, in videos, at, at, um, during our worship services, we've told them in, in sermons, we've experienced them some privately ourselves. Um, there are also moments of despair, mm -hmm. right? Where people felt like there was no more hope. Mm -hmm. And that's why they the, the reality of life overcame any kind of hope for them. And so they gave up. And um, those moments are so tragic because, because we do have a God who is with us. And it's just so sad. And also so understandable why we sometimes get overwhelmed because life is so hard at times, right? Yeah. And, um, and that's why it's so inc more important than ever in, in times of trouble. And, and when we're, like we said, when we're low, when we're stressed, when we're overcome, that we take time to process, like you said, to slow down our lives, to take spaces where God calls us to solitude, to to invite God in through prayer, and 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 to slow down our lives enough to remember past moments of hope mm -hmm. where God came through for us, and also the message that God is speaking to us in the present of hope for the future. Joey, that I think that was so well said. And thank you for, for again, 
cinching us to the reality of life, mm. this side of this side of eternity. Because there's a lot of times when the desperation and the despair becomes too great. Yeah. Um, suicide inst- incidences uh, are higher among our generation than at any point in history, right? Uh, the amount in the midst of security and wealth and prosperity, I mean, at this point in history, we are so much more secure than at any time in history, and yet the despair the dissonance, the suffering is as real as it has ever been. Mm. Some might actually argue that it's even greater because we have a relationship that is not as healthy with suffering as people that were constantly in contact with suffering, right? Um, And so some might argue that our relationship with suffering is even less, is at a less uh, ideal point than it was at any point in history. So the despair is great. Mm. And I think that's why the Psalms Mm. are not the individual prayers of a man Mm. with God, although they are that. But that's not the only thing they are, right? The Psalms are Israel's songbook. Mm. And I think what that means is that even when the individual loses hope, even Mm. when despair and desperation has become so great, that hopelessness wins in that life. The community Mm. around that individual remains hopeful. And as long as the community continues to remain hopeful, there's hope for the future mm. in the, for that individual and for the rest of us. So if, you have, uh, if you're in a hopeless moment, slow down. If you are being swallowed up with despair, don't worry, we, we are still hopeful and we believe that God is still present. Mm-hmm. And maybe somehow, some way, we can transfer a little bit of that hope onto you. Amen. Shall we pray? Please. Our God of hope is such a short word with just one syllable, and yet it has so, so much power, especially when you are behind it, because ours is not a blind hope or uh, uh, a hope that is fleeting, but a hope that rests on your covenant, your promises, and your power. And so today, we pray that you infuse us with hope, even when, if our lives are filled with tragedy, with despair, with discouragement, when it's difficult for our, us to hope for ourselves, hope for us, and surround us with a community that hopes alongside of us, Lord. Give us hope is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a hopeful week and a hope-filled day. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.